So it might not seem like it, but it's the middle of the day here in Beijing. The air is so polluted that it's darkened the sky. Most of the progress towards the environment and saving it and getting rid of carbon, etc., has been done on a local level. Some people with the goal well, of making energy both cheaper but also completely clean. And so, with the right innovation. Uh, clean energy is actually cheaper than dirty energy. Solar has gained 17 times the rate of our economy. There are 2.6 million jobs in our country in clean energy. The world's biggest energy agency believe the oil market will rebalance by the second half of this year, but there are still questions about price. Brent crude is down by more. We will unleash the power of American energy, including shale, oil, natural gas, and clean coal. What we're going to do, folks, is going to be so special. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Off the Charts, the podcast of the Energy Policy Institute at the University of Chicago. I'm your host, Jeff McMahon. Recently, I had the opportunity to hear from Ma Jun, the prominent Chinese environmentalist and founding director of the Nonprofit Institute of Public and Environmental Affairs. Mr. Ma created a smartphone app that allows the public to see and report where the worst polluters are. Many in Chicago credit this effort for helping to usher in recent signs of progress in China's effort to curb pollution. Other countries are looking to the work as a model. Given his trailblazing accomplishments, it's no surprise that he's been honored with the notable Goldman Prize for Environmental Protection and named as one of Time Magazine's world's 100 most influential people. Majun was in Chicago as the 2017 Dr. Scholl Foundation Visiting Fellow at the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Let's listen to his conversation with EPIC's director, Michael Greenstone. Uh, we're honored to have you here today uh, and uh, excited to have you tour Chicago. So I thought maybe first Maybe not everyone has played with your app. Maybe you could tell us uh, a little bit about the blue map uh, and what it is and how it works uh, and kind of this its state of play in China today. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you, Michael, for inviting me and thank you, Bala, for the gracious uh, introduction. And I can definitely, I, I thought I can definitely skip any sort of opening remarks because it was such a detailed uh, introduction about <laughs> my uh, you know experience uh, with this you know I uh, the reason that we uh, focus on on data transparency is uh, is because in, in our country you know we uh, now not just uh, the pollution problem have exposed uh, hundreds of millions to to health hazards and um, uh, but also because when we look into, you know, despite all the efforts made, resources spent to try to solve the problem, uh, we still haven't seen the real turning point yet. Uh, I think much of that has something to do, not just, you know, the, the, the root cause is not just the lack of technology or even money. Uh, we have huge potential for that, but, uh, but the, uh, I think the lack of, uh, Motivation is a, is a serious problem. You know, rules and regulations copied from the West, but not uh, enforcement have not quite followed uh, with that. And uh, here, uh, I have some 
chance to spend some time at, uh, in the US in those early days uh, at Yale, really uh, benefited uh, through my fellowship there and uh, understand that much of the problem uh, has been resolved through, you know, first legislation and then enforcement. And then, you know, the very fact that uh, NGOs and uh, even citizens can go to the court to drive enforcement. You know, in the early days, it's still the business or even some local government may not want to go uh, that far. But, uh, but in China, the litigation channel so far, you know, our judicial system has yet to function like here. So we need to find an alternative way to drive that uh, in, uh, enforcement. And to me, um, I think that can uh, issues, environmental challenges of such a magnitude and complexity cannot be resolved without extensive participation. And, uh, uh, but we can, uh, in some way, we got inspired by those uh, pioneering work in the United States on transparency, you know, the, uh, the uh, toxic release uh, inventory and uh, many other legislations focused on that. You know, we learned that and uh, uh, at that time, you know, uh, more than 10 years ago, when we tried to get started, uh, China has just leapfrogged into the information age and that also prepared a very important technology uh, for us to, uh, to, to, to try to rely upon this, uh, try to start our transparency work. And so we started with that database and then website uh, uh, and, um, and, and in China, I think we kind of feel that uh, not only we need to learn from the transparency work here, but we need to probably push it to more extreme and even try to adopt some disruptive way of transparency because we don't have other uh, alternatives. And uh, so, uh, so I think we want to take advantage of the mobile internet uh, whenever it's ready. You know, we compile the data, but at the beginning, very limited, uh, and, uh, and then we started getting more. So around the year 2012, we, uh, when we started seeing the uh, increasing usage of mobile internet, uh, we, are, we, were, we, we thought about doing some app, you know, just to put our, project our pollution map to the, to the cell phone. But then we give up that idea because app is something very special. You know, unless you have a really a day-to-day -day use function, you know, people will not actually uh, have any habit to really use it because it's, uh, it's not like, if they don't use it, it's not like website. When you try to use it, then it's there. App is something you have to keep it on your cell phone and you, uh, otherwise it's simply no use and most people will not keep many apps on their cell phone. So, so we don't have that opportunity. But then 2013, as Bala explained, that a group of NGOs, including us, you know, we launched the Total Transparency Initiative calling for the disclosure of the real-time disclosure of the online monitoring data. Uh, we thought it gonna take years before the government uh, says yes, but to our surprise, the ministry came up uh, with a bylaw just uh, four or five months later calling for requiring this to happen from the year 2014. And toward the end of 2013, we started seeing different you know, 
platform, provincial platforms being built to carry that data, we thought that it, you know, with real-time data uh, on so many platforms, uh, on computer, on PC, it's still not quite easily accessible. So we, can, we need to tap into the mobile internet. This is the time for that. So we started uh, uh, building our, designing and developing our app. Uh, and we launched that in, uh, in, in June 2014, uh, allowing people not just to access the, uh, the data on air quality in all the different cities uh, uh, in China, started with 74 and now covers the, all the municipalities in China, but also for the first time on water quality, the data on rivers and lakes, and now drinking water source. Um, and of course, the special part is uh, the online monitoring for 14,000, uh, some of the largest uh, uh, air and water emitters and sewage plants in China. And uh, what we found is people not just uh, uh, access the data, they share that through social media. It's combined with social media. I think that part is also powerful. And uh, they tag in their official uh, Weibo account when they share the violation records of those uh, uh, companies uh, uh, that we visualize you know, with different color coding uh, based on their level of compliance. Um, and thousands of reporting have been filed against polluting factories. And so far, more than 700 of them, uh, with half of them state-owned enterprises, openly you know, uh, address their violation problem. They used to be insensitive <coughs> to that, uh, and they decided to, to change. And uh, I just want to- So, so let yeah. me, I just uh, want to pick up <laughs> one thing you said there. Yeah. So there's no new rules, there's no new laws. You have created, in, or the map, the app has created information. People take that information, and that leads to change? Yeah, I mentioned the, the, the ministry's bylaw yeah. to require this the disclosure, yeah. yeah, the release of that. But then, uh, you're right, there's no new laws. Uh, and, uh, uh, but later on, we, we, of course, we do have the new environmental protection law uh, amended, amended for the first time in 25 years yeah. of time and adopted uh, uh, as the most stringent laws in China. Uh, prior to the, uh, the real-time disclosure of that online monitoring data, we have this automatic monitoring for more than 10 years in China. But those data have not really been put into much use, despite the fact that we spent billions of yuan to install those data. Because, you know, as I described, the local government tend to protect the, 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 the factories, and uh, those are the lot among the largest, and they are the darlings to, to, to the officials and to, to the local government. So they are not quite used and uh, not used as the basis for any penalty fines, but that has been changed in recent years. Some new laws and regulations have just been created, local, local ones, uh, and some central government ones, to allow the continuous uh, uh, monitoring as the basis for some penalty fines. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a good, com com I see a good combination of both the public supervision based on that and also the kind of strengthening of enforcement. 
And w why do the polluters pay attention to what the public thinks? Yeah, the... Uh, I would say that, you know, the U.S. has had this toxics release inventory since the 80s, and that's always been kind of a slightly unanswered question. Uh, suppose you read about a plant that's in your neighborhood and it's emitting lots of pollution, what are you supposed to do about it? Yeah, I, I read, uh, you know, in, in my days at Yale, I read that uh, actually uh, the uh, release of toxic relief uh, imagery uh, in those first uh, several years got quite much attention. They published the, the kind of uh, uh, top 10 one of the most uh, polluting fact, uh, companies in China, uh, in, in the U.S. and some of them got quite some pressure. Like uh, uh, I read Monsanto, you know, the head of Monsanto kind of say that, uh, uh, look, wait, you know, we must cut back this uh, uh, toxics uh, release by, he said, 90%. Uh, and uh, I think it, uh, his staff all feel that's crazy, but uh, uh, the res end result is over 95%. I think they cut, cut back that much. And uh, so those are quite successful. Uh, obviously, they bow to this um, this public pressure and also the concern over the image uh, tarnish of their image and maybe their own conscience. Uh, but in China, you know, we also have cases like uh, you know. I just want to give one example. Uh, uh, Shandong Iron Steel is uh, one of the listed company, one of the largest uh, steel manufacturer in our country. And before we have some records, uh, but limited number of them. When they started their real-time disclosure, uh, Shandong government have done a good job to, uh, to keep the integrity of the data. So we can see that uh, it's uh, uh, always above the standards and sometimes up to 10 times above the sulfur dioxide standards. And uh, so we try to engage them with them as an NGO. And uh, they are listed companies, so we have a public uh, phone number to call them, the secretary of their <laughs> board or something, and uh, and and he uh, basically they their response to my colleague is that as a listed company, this is not something that we take as very important, yeah. you know. Uh, so so obviously they they're not very good at PR, but uh, but that was <laughs> very very blatant kind of a, a statement, and we they know we can't do much, you yeah. know. Uh, here we in China we. We don't have some of the tools of NGOs here, so we can't really, you know, do very much to them. But then, over and over again, that uh, violation had been spotted by local residents in Jinan and uh, local NGOs there. They started to uh, uh, tweet that, you know, through our own uh, Chinese Weibo, you know, microblog system. <coughs> and uh, uh, until one day, you know, the, it was picked they tag in the Weibo account of the local environmental agency. Uh, that was also a requirement by the Chinese central government to have all these agencies to uh, create their own social media account, yeah. uh, which is, uh, uh, you know, at the beginning, not much information, but later on proved to be still quite useful. So they tag them in, and then they, one day they just weigh in. We saw that published on the, uh, you know, we saw the tweet, you know, responded to, to that. Uh, the, the regulator responded. Yeah, the regulator responded saying that uh, we checked this company. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it has this violation and we have required it uh, to solve the problem. Responded to one of the huh. uh, micro-reporting by, uh, by a 
uh, a local resident. Uh, so, so, and then several months later, uh, toward the end of that year, we got another, uh, you know, because during the process more uh, uh, complaints have been filed and uh, uh, we got an, another response from the follow-up tweet from the agency saying that uh, uh, the company decided to shut down three pellet uh, furnaces, hmm. Hmm. three production lines. Uh, our guess is because it's highly inefficient. Uh, if you try to factor in the uh, pollution control yeah. cost, you know, you know the profit margin for our steel manufacturing industry in China has dropped to, they said, like, you know, as cheap as white gar cabbage, uh, <laughs> meaning it's dirt cheap, and so, so they won't make any money, so they give it up, and, um, and then uh, publish, when they publish this, they tag in our, you know, Weibo account in some way, you know, to respond to the to the Blue Map app, and uh, also they give the uh, uh, their their own set of data about the reduction, 2,600 tons of uh, sulfur hmm. uh, dioxide every year, and 405 tons of of uh, particulates. Hmm. 400 and I don't know how many zeros you got to put when you translate that into uh, micro, convert that into yeah, micrograms, micro and meter, uh, yeah. just uh, I don't know how much the, each one of the residents going to share, you know, on this, but it's uh, a huge uh, reduction, and just with that, uh, that so, so one let factor, me. Uh, there's yeah. one thing that I've been especially interested in uh, your history, and I'm going to, I want to. We're going to go further back in time in a couple minutes, but mm -hmm. uh, you started IPE in 2006, uh, and I think uh, maybe if you if you even went back uh, to 2013 or 2012, you couldn't have imagined uh, the way in which environmental qualities kind of moved into the center of people's attention in China. At least that's my observation from afar. Uh, yeah, the premier has declared a war on it. But you had a long run there, say from 2006, let's say, I don't know, to 2014, yeah. uh, where it didn't look like it was going to grab people's attention. And why did you think, uh, you know, this is the thing I should keep doing? And uh, how did you have confidence that it was going to work out? And, you know, part of the reason I ask is uh, there are similar, I think there's parallels to in India right now, what's going on there is with the. Uh, accepting PM as a major problem there. Right. I think it, isn't, it hasn't quite happened in the way it's happened in China. And then I don't, you know, I don't want to exclude the United States. We have our own issues with CO2 and uh, recognizing vast segments of our country have a hard time recognizing that CO2 is a problem. So you were in that same position. And what made you think, you know, I'm going to keep doing this. I think this could go somewhere. Yeah. Uh, first, I have to say I'm really inspired, uh, you know, uh, by the by the great work you and uh, Anand's doing in, in India. I think it's uh, uh, really, really uh, inspiring and uh, innovative. Uh, the uh, I, I think to us, you know, in those early days, uh, it was uh, not easy because uh, uh, when we got started in 2006, I think transparency. And participation, all these are not quite, uh, you know, a lot less kind of recognized and uh, not part of the DNA of our culture. And uh, so, 
And uh, there were probably some people who didn't like the transparency. Yeah, there are those who, and when we put so many of them on our list, yeah. some people dub that as a blacklist. You yeah. can imagine, you know, that not just when we uh, offended those interests, and uh, so lot quite uh, there. Are, there are quite some pressure, but but I think you know even the pressure is. Uh, uh, to us, it's also uh, you know something quite important that, uh, because it's uh, you know at least you got feedback. I think that's very important. When you try to test run something, you you know you you need some feedback, you know, mm -hmm. and then to give you some confidence that this really touch upon some of the key issues and uh, maybe you know uh, it's the le uh, right leverage. You know, we have the. Uh, uh, you know, we launched our uh, website in, in June, in September 2006. Uh, you know, the, far, the first uh, nine months, you know, my colleagues almost like totally lost confidence in, in, in our work in, uh, because we continue to grab, uh, compile all this data and uh, uh, filling uh, one spreadsheet after another and uh, before we, our, our uh, website systems ready to launch. And they, you know, they don't see much uh, happening at all. So uh, we're almost That's like, like my academic papers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but then you know, in November we got the first uh, major company uh, coming to us, saying that uh, the boss read the read read the newspaper in Hong Kong uh, uh, in his breakfast and uh, suddenly read that his company mentioned as a mm as a bad polluter and he got really mad with that and uh, take away the year-end bonus of all the senior management in China and uh, decided and required them to solve the problem. So, so they approached us, uh, uh, first sent a, a PR uh, man, uh, VP and, uh, uh, and then understand it's not about PR and uh, we, it's about wastewater violations and, uh, and then second time he they bring the uh, the the, the uh, EHS manager, so we run through that, uh, review that, and eventually they solve that uh, wastewater. Not just solve the wastewater problem, they also uh, install that uh, system to try to uh, recycle the the wastewater. And uh, so so we had the first uh, uh, success. That's really important to to our organization because the Staffs started seeing the, uh, the the possibility, the power of uh, of transparency, and from there, one by one, you know, first group are those multinational companies who have their factories, who trans, who who sent their fac build their factories directly in China. They are the global 500, mm -hmm. many of them. So they are the first group that made response. Uh, but to us, that's not enough because it, we all know it's not just the multinational companies. A lot of local companies and uh, uh, the Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan companies, Korean companies, they are not sensitive to, mm -hmm. to this way of uh, public, uh, uh, you know, the so-called name and shame, and uh, they don't care about this. Uh, uh, so we need to engage them in a different way. So we need to find the leverage. So the first leverage we found is the supply chain. We decided that uh, we can't engage directly with those factories, local factories, but we can go through the buyers because they are 
sensitive. They are facing a different audience, uh, like you know those American companies, uh, European and Japanese. They have their home audience. They made high commitment to very high standards, and uh, uh, but our findings, our records will show very clearly they failed their commitment to the public, to the consumers. So we decided to use that to engage with them and. Uh, uh, and then each one of them uh, have uh, hundreds, sometimes thousands or tens of thousands of suppliers in China. So that proved not just become a leveraging force, but also more efficient way yeah. to engage. So the point here is that I guess to find the uh, find the find the point to try to leverage from there. Yeah. And was there? Uh, was there a moment when you thought, you know, maybe this was the wrong thing to be spending my time doing? <laughs> yeah, there are those moments. There are. And, and so, what do you say to yourself then? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah you, you, you probably know that uh, I just, like others, I kind of think that if we know uh, earlier, you know, at the beginning, yeah. maybe I could choose another way, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, but I've already choose that way, so we have to stick to it. And uh, there were those uh, moments which uh, uh, we feel, I mean, those early time, uh, particularly difficult, and uh, those uh, uh, companies uh, coming to us very unhappy and uh, uh, sometimes pretty mad. And uh, so that's uh, yeah. that's a that's easy shot because they still come to us. But those who won't come to us, they come to their contact. They come to their, yeah. uh, they they report to the to the to the high officials, and uh, so those pressure bearing down on us is uh, much tougher. And uh, sometimes, at certain moment, we're not sure whether we can continue our work. But uh, uh, but luckily, some of the decisions made helped us. Uh, you know, uh, like the decision to use uh, government monitoring data as the foundation of our database. Uh, that proved to be helpful because data can be very sensitive in our country. And uh, uh, this free us from all these uh, questions about the capacity, the, uh, you know, the legitimacy of our, our organization. So, it, so when they come to pressure us, it's not, they realize it's not us, but the uh, government uh, put them on the on uh, on the polluters list. It's not us, and uh, we just compile all this scattering data together. You know, today uh, we're still continue to do that. One thousand, you know, every day where our our our, our steps and uh, through the help of computer programming, uh, tracking uh, nearly one thousand eight hundred sources. Uh, from various government agencies. They publish the data, but not compile them together. So we serve as uh, some sort of a clearinghouse uh, for that. Okay, and I, I want to come back to uh, data and data quality in a minute, but uh, I, I'm a little worried I'll, I'll lose a chance to ask this if I don't ask it now. So we have a lot of students here, uh, and they're probably, a lot of them are trying to figure out what they're gonna do with their lives, and you created an app, and in many American universities, there's no greater thing you could do than create an app. <laughs> uh, certainly Stanford. Uh, but I thought it was worth stepping back a little bit, uh, and uh, I noticed you were born in 1968, so was yeah. I. 
Uh, I went uh -huh. and looked. Uh, China's GDP per capita in 1968 was $100 per person. Uh, today, or in 1970, or sorry, 1990, it was $320 per person. Uh, and today, it's $8,000 per person. It right. has to be, you know, perhaps the greatest feat in human civilization. It uh, is. Pulling yeah. hundreds of millions of people out of uh, poverty, uh, altering lives in, you know, uh, uncountable ways. Uh, but let's go back to 1968 and you know, you were a boy then. Mm. Uh, did you think you would be here? You know, what were you interested in? What was, you know, the path that led to this? And, I, you know, just to open the discussion, I'll tell you, you know, I spent the first 20 years of my life thinking that I was going to be a professional basketball player against <laughs> all evidence to the contrary. But, uh, you know, what, how did you get here? Yeah, uh, great question. And, uh, uh, yeah, the, and, and, and while this massive change was happening yeah, in the background, I, and you know, your country was like undergoing changes that no country had ever seen in such yeah. a short period of time. When I look back, in some way, I think I, uh, uh, you know, we uh, we had our tough time. Uh, you know, the first uh, uh, several years of my uh, my my childhood uh, were, were still in the Cultural Revolution, yeah. and uh, uh, parents still sent to the uh, the. the the schools in the you know uh, countryside you know the, when we were quite young and uh, so it's uh, 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 that was the time of uh, really want of all the kind of a material uh, supplies and so it's uh, we have been through some tough time but uh, but when I hindsight I also feel quite uh, uh, lucky because uh, we are the first almost like the first generation that can enjoy the uh, normal kind of schooling, you know, education and, uh, uh, you know, our, our education has not been disrupted like the brothers, the elder brothers, uh, you know, who have, who need to go to the countryside. And, uh, and in those early days, uh, we did have a lot of blue skies in, uh, in Beijing and uh, uh, a lot more uh, you know, I learned to swim in the in the local uh, canal, uh, a small waterway in the in the city, uh, and um, enjoy all the uh, you know uh, in those summertime night. You know, a lot of bugs and uh, uh, insects. I love them, and uh, I guess those are the uh, subconsciously you know something that uh, make me. Uh, Grow up, you know, uh, to have some, uh, uh, some, 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 you know, passion about the uh, nature. But you know, I'm a, I'm a city boy. You know, quite, uh, quite. Those are quite limited. Uh, it was the 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 time when I got chance to travel in different parts of China. I really got struck by the environmental, by the. Uh, environmental damage, especially the the impact on the water. So this is when you were a journalist. Yeah, or? that yeah. was the when I worked for the for the media in the nineteen nineties. So uh, was there an environment beat in the I mean in the nineteen nineties? That must have, you must have been a pioneer in that sense. Uh, yeah, nineteen nineties. I I I thought I you know I'm I'm quite privileged because at that time uh, the uh, uh, you know. It's not like now people, everyone can travel that, yeah. uh, that much. And uh, our job took us to different parts. And uh, yeah. in the north, I saw all this 
rivers dried up, including the Mother River, you know, Yellow River. Mm -hmm. uh, more than 200 days a year cannot end up into the sea. And, uh, and then uh, in the south, you know, many, a uh, lot more water, but quite a lot of contamination and uh, eco-degradation in the west. So uh, I decided to put, put into the book. Because, you know, when we grow up, we grow up by reading the, 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 the writings of our great uh, uh, poets and, uh, um, and, and, uh, and scholars. And, uh, uh, but, the, you know, they tend to write a lot about the uh, mountains and hills and the rivers, how beautiful they are. Uh, so, uh, so I got something, uh, a virtual... Uh, uh, landscape in my mind, but when I really got chance to uh, to 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 be with uh, to see them, they they look so different. Uh, so many barren hills and uh, dwindling of our uh, our wetlands being reclaimed for farming and hillside farm cut all these trees and uh, uh, the grassland degraded, uh, desertified. So. So those are those struck me. Of course, the suffering of the people, and uh, uh, so I put it in the in the books, uh, thinking that I have done my duty and I could return to my normal life. But then, uh, it's uh, the readers, you know, com keep coming back, and um, uh, uh, they kind so what, of feel that. So what was your? Uh, you wrote the book in 1999. Uh, yes. In, for. Not everyone who's read it, it's widely considered like Rachel Carson's uh, Silent Spring in the U.S. is kind of setting off an environmental movement. You wrote the book. What did you think it would do? It would shine a picture? And could you, in your mind, connect that to policy change? Or just at this point, it was just conveying information? I thought first, you know, I, I, I got a chance to access this, to, uh, to encounter or witness this. And uh, as, as someone who worked for the media, you got a chance to interview. You, yeah. You, those are also very special. So I, I think I, I, I'm privileged to understand some of this, you know, uh, as an outsider. Uh, uh, so I decided. An outsider in the sense that you were from the city and these were rural areas. No, I'm outsider of those, uh, you know, because much of that is about very hydrological type okay. of uh, yeah. uh, word. So it's a very, very uh, uh, close circle. So I. I decided that uh, because you know I wrote in the book that when I interviewed the chief engineer uh, of the commission and they they said some quite some of the engineers would think that uh, you know the uh, dry up of the of the river of the yellow river only shows the uh, kind of a sufficient that the, the rivers put into full use basically you know because it's uh, we are not wasting a drop in the sea uh, <laughs> So that's Indeed. not something <laughs> yeah. I quite uh, uh, kind of, as an outsider, kind of uh, are uh, willing to, uh, to, to take. I, I think that it has other functions. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know, our, uh, our, our children, you know, I hope can continue to, 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 to enjoy that. And so, we, uh, so I put that um, uh, in, into the book, thought that I'm going to, you know, it's too heavy a burden, basically. You yeah. know, I, I laid that and I could do my normal job. And uh, of course, in that, I write about some of the suggestions. But still, it's more about the findings, identifying the problems. Mm -hmm. uh, but then peop when people keep coming back, you know, 
you understand journalists, you know, we're, we're good at finding problems, but not, you know, creating solutions is not something we tend to do, you know, in our uh, reporting, you know, you, you, you should be independent uh, third part, you know, into uh, observe, uh, report what others are doing. So uh, I decided uh, uh, to uh, left and join the consulting firm, you know, got myself familiar with uh, uh, some of the very important uh, uh, toolkits, like the, uh, uh, those environmental uh, laws and regulations in China, and then the EHS management system. And our, our consulting firm is also the f one of the first to help major uh, corporations to create the first set of uh, EHS management uh, tools for the supply chain uh, management. Um, most of them at that time focused very much on the labor side, mm -hmm. but we extended that to occupational health and safety, and especially to the environment side, because we specialize in the environment. So we created, so we used that to test uh, uh, run, uh, you know, in the, uh, our, our rules in, the, in those factories. I found that, uh, to my surprise, that it actually can be more effective than even some of the uh, government uh, regulations because uh, you know whenever the the buyers say that uh, I want this but not that then they can change a lot you know uh, we literally you know several months later when we go back to some factories they uh, we see those uh, female workers you know in front of the uh, kitchen you know they, they have the blackboard uh, uh, showing the you know, kind of almost like your human rights uh, and, and uh, your all the all the rights of the workers mm -hmm. and then you know in certain workshops we when we uh, noted that they don't have put goggles and so that there's so much so much eye injuries and I thought I saw them just to the next time when visit they all have that beautiful goggle and uh, so it just happened so later on, I think all these are very helpful, you know, for us to realize that we can work with the, with the business. The business can be part of the problem if they don't have uh, those uh, uh, environmental policy in their sourcing practice. Then they just buy from the cheapest. They actually taking the advantage of the loopholes in countries like China and other developing countries of those weak enforcement to maximize their own gains. So they're part of the problem. They, they drive the, further drive the suppliers to race down to the bottom to win their contract. But when they change that, uh, they could become part of the solutions. They have massive uh, power. But, uh, but when we engage with the companies, they, they have a good excuse. In China, I don't know who are polluting, who are not. So I just can only buy from the cheapest. So, uh, but then, you know, in the year 2007, eight, nine, I could tell them uh, we happen to have some data. Measure, yeah. yeah, we happen to have uh, compiled all this list of violators uh, started from less than 2000 in, in 2006, and then all of a sudden, you know, to 20,000 in 2008. And today we have more than half a million of them in our database. So they can easily compare their list of suppliers with our list of violators and uh, identify the very obvious, uh, outrageous violators of rules and standards. And um, 
I'm very glad that uh, increasing number of them started doing that. So I, I, uh, I think what I, this, I've seen this in my own work in India, and I've seen this in the U.S., and uh, I, I suspect this might be an issue in China as well. And it all goes back, uh, when I was a child, my grandfather was like the best storyteller in the whole family. Uh, and one could never really tell what was true and what wasn't true. Mm -hmm. And so eventually we had to create a system. Uh, we asked, you know, is that story true or is it really true? <laughs> uh, and so it seems like the next evolution of these transparency initiatives is making sure that the information that's being fed into them uh, is as reliable, is really true, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, people always say, "Okay, you take all, you created this uh, this uh, blacklist." You know, you always take this. You started with all these uh, records of violations. Why don't you take those? Uh, uh, you know, the the top. You know, the good list. Why do Why do you put those side by side? You know, we did start only with those uh, bad lists because. The very reason that, uh, uh, because of the protection given to the polluting factories uh, in many regions, we can't quite trust uh, what put on a good list. Yeah. But uh, when they say certain companies are bad, and in reality they could be worse. So, uh, in most cases, so I can trust that. But of course, we give them the chance to defend themselves. It's not like we're gonna just uh, take all this uh, 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 as, a, as a giving. And uh, uh, we created a, a path towards solution. The first uh, step is to give them the chance to publish whatever they want, a, st a statement, whatever they want to say. Before you go on the web? Before no, they're no, after. after they yeah. The point is that they have been listed uh, openly yeah. as a polluting factory. So they owe the public some sort of uh, open explanation. Uh, and of course, if something goes wrong, then they also can make their self-defense. Yeah. And uh, uh, we have a system to, uh, to, to audit that and to verify that, uh, give them the chance to correct that. Uh, but in most cases, and so far thousands of them have come to us, and uh, not many cases that they actually, in most cases, they still choose to explain what went wrong, mm -hmm. how they try to fix their problem and uh, so data quality uh, remains to be an issue especially when we move to real-time monitoring in certain provinces I mentioned about Shandong as a as a champion as a good example and Zhejiang is also quite good Beijing's very very you know tried tried hard to maintain uh, uh, the quality of the data but we also have provinces you know which are not doing a good job and uh, uh, they uh, they 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 have too perfect uh, kind of uh, data, uh, despite the fact that they have very serious uh, air uh, and water pollution. So we can't really quite trust that. And we call that true in my family. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we take that as a true. And uh, and then uh, with that, you know, uh, we are trying our way to try to help identify the the problem because we have both the uh, automatic monitoring and manual monitoring data, we match them. Sometimes they just don't match at all. Yeah. You know, 24 hours, you know, every hour we can, or every two hours we have the data, but uh, uh, then we can tell that uh, that manual uh, is uh, kind of way beyond the yeah. s uh, standard, but then automatic is way below. So 
Then we report those cases, and in quite several uh, uh, occasions, we got the local um, agencies responded, uh, uh, saying they, uh, they check it, they penalize those companies. Uh, and, uh, uh, and then we also, you know, every year on year, send our, uh, uh, you know, the file this uh, to uh, suggestions to the, to the ministry and uh, through the, also through the, uh, uh, you know, motions sent to during the Congress. So to our great um, uh, encouragement, uh, uh, last month uh, the uh, uh, Central Party Commission, uh, along with the State Council, issued a joint opinion document uh, for the first time focus very specifically on the integrity of the data issue mm -hmm. and uh, uh, criminalize the, those, uh, uh, those who falsify the data and give NGOs like us uh, for the first time the uh, status to file public interest litigation against third party uh, service providers who- For the measurement. Yeah, who, uh, yeah for the measurement. Yeah. Uh, uh, or for maintaining, calibrating those yeah. uh, 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 detect uh, those uh, sensors, and for uh, you know if they falsify, uh, they they could be you know subject to this public interest litigation. And I assure you, not you know quite number of them are having problems. And uh, so we maintained uh, we we already have to build a, a, a special section for uh, third parties. Uh, you know, uh, service providers uh, uh, on our polluters list. So the list is keep growing. It's been an incredible pleasure to have you here. I, we've been, uh, for two years, we were hoping that you would say yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's just been terrific to have you here. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to Off the Charts wherever you get your podcasts, including on EPIC's website at epic.uchicago.edu. Until next time, I'm Jeff McMahon.